to the Lord is not one of allegiance to Him as God by nature. It's really one of rebellion and one of resistance and rejection of Him as God. By nature, we are idolaters left to ourselves. We worship anyone and anything else as God except the Lord. The amazing thing is, as we've been looking at in the past months together, as we've worked through the, the, how the Lord has delivered and delivers His people, the amazing thing is that the Lord comes in grace to such rebels and traitors and idolaters and reconciles them to Himself by the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. He saves them from sin and from condemnation, not by any works that they have done, but simply by faith alone, in Christ alone, faith that He works in them by His Holy Spirit. But that's not the only thing He does. When He has saved us and when he, has, when he has reconciled us to Himself, He also then calls us to live a certain way and, and he, gives us, he gives us His Holy Spirit to enable us to begin to live that way, to live godly lives in thankfulness to Him for His salvation, for giving Himself to us as our God as our Redeemer from bondage to sin and to Satan. We've seen that the past several weeks. We've also seen last week that the standard for this godly living that we're called to is the law of God, the Ten Commandments. That is the standard we are to follow. That is the standard that we are to examine ourselves by and strive to conform to by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And this afternoon we come to the first of the Ten Commandments. We find it in Exodus 20 verse 3 where the Lord says these words, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What is the issue that God is getting at with this commandment? It, it, it's not just about who we sing to and, and who we pray to at church on Sundays. That's part of it, of course. But, it, but it's much more than that. It's much deeper in, than that. The issue really comes down to this, our allegiance, our commitment, our loyalty, our devotion to the Lord as God. And so our theme our theme this afternoon is this. The first commandment requires our allegiance to the Lord as God. With God's help and connection also with the last two questions in Lord's Day 34, uh, we want to look at what that means, what that allegiance, that commitment looks like. And we'll notice four things. First of all, it's an exclusive allegiance. It's a slightly different order than what you have in, in the bulletin. First of all, an exclusive allegiance. We'll spend most of the time there. And secondly, a wholehearted allegiance. And thirdly, a full allegiance. And fourth, a blessed allegiance. And so first, this commandment requires our exclusive allegiance to the Lord as God. And the commandment makes that quite clear, doesn't it? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. In other words, the only God we may have is the Lord, the God of the Bible. That doesn't mean there are actually, actually are other gods beside the Lord. No, a God, is, a God is something or someone that has absolute supremacy, absolute sovereignty. 
And the Lord makes very clear in his word that he is the only one who has that. You take the passage that we read together earlier, Isaiah 46 and, and verses 9 through 11. Isaiah prophesied to the people of Judah during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And the first 39 chapters of his book, is, of his prophecy, is mostly a warning to the people that the Lord will judge them because of their idolatry. Because of their worship of other things as gods. Jerusalem will be destroyed, including even the temple, and the people will be taken captive to Babylon. But in chapters 40 to 66, Isaiah speaks mainly words of hope. And among other things, he prophesies that the Lord will bring his people back. He will bring them back. Uh, from their captivity through a pagan ruler from the east. And he even, in chapter 45, he even reveals that ruler's name, Cyrus, 150 years before he was even born, before Cyrus was even born. And, and part of the purpose of revealing this to the people was to make the point that the Lord alone is God. So that they might turn from their idols. And that comes up again and again in, in, the, in the chapters around chapter 46. Also in, within our chapter. What does the Lord say there in, in verses 9 through 11? He says this. Remember, remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executes my counsel from a far country. Who, what's that talking about? That's talking about Cyrus. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, the Lord says. I will also do it. What is the Lord saying? He's saying, I alone am God. I alone have absolute supremacy, absolute sovereignty. There are no other gods beside the Lord. And so when the Lord says, thou shalt have no other gods before me, he means that our allegiance to him must be exclusive. That means, for one thing, we may not have any other gods instead of the Lord. We may not replace them with, with so-called other gods. We may not, we must not let anyone or anything in our lives take the place of the Lord as God, as the one with absolute supremacy, with absolute sovereignty. We must not give our allegiance to someone or something else as God instead of the Lord who has revealed himself in his word in the Bible. That's idolatry. And idolatry is sin. You know, you might be thinking, well, who of us does that? I, I mean, none of us are bowing down to statues or images, are we? We're all here in church. We're all obviously worshiping the Lord. Yes, outwardly, that's, that's what we're doing. But is the Lord really God in our lives? Not just outwardly, but, 
but inwardly. Are you living, am I living to serve Him? Does He have your exclusive allegiance, your exclusive commitment to Him as God? Or, or could it be that in reality, other people or other things have that allegiance instead of the Lord? You know, it can happen. It can happen so easily, even to Christians. It's very easy for us to replace the Lord as God with someone or something else, sometimes even without our realizing it. Maybe it would help to give some examples of modern idols. Could be toys. Could be money. Could be food. Could be health, could be our work, could be, could be a hobby, could be a car or, or a truck, could be pleasure, could be sex, it could be a house, could be your phone, could even be our spouse. or our children, or a desire for a spouse, or children. And please don't misunderstand. None of these things are wrong necessarily in and of themselves. But what is wrong is when we give our allegiance to those things as our gods instead of the Lord. What is wrong is when those things are everything to us, and the Lord is hardly anything to us, or not even nothing at all. What is wrong is when we treat those things as our saviors instead of the Lord. What is wrong is when in order to serve those other things, we sin against the Lord and so deny His absolute supremacy and sovereignty. The first commandment requires our exclusive allegiance to the Lord as God. And that means we may not have any other gods instead of the Lord. But it also means we may not have any other gods besides or in addition to the Lord. The first commandment is not merely about putting the Lord first in our lives. It's about more than that. It's about having Him as our one and only God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me does not mean we may have other gods after the Lord. The word before doesn't just mean in front of. It also means besides. And so we must not have any other gods at all. We may not have him plus a few other gods. Even if we try and put him first. And it's actually really impossible. Jesus made that clear to his disciples when he told them in Matthew 6. No man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and riches. And we know that passage well, don't we? But, but why did the Lord Jesus, do you ever think about why the Lord Jesus took the trouble to tell his disciples that? Isn't it because we're so prone? 
to try and do this very thing? We're so prone to try and give our allegiance to the Lord as God, plus some other things, plus maybe some other people. It might be some of the things we just mentioned, or it might be something else. But the Lord doesn't want our allegiance to himself as God, plus something, or plus someone else as another God. That, too, is idolatry, just as much as having other gods instead of him. Idolatry is in the words of question and answer 95, instead of or besides that one true God who has manifested himself in his word to contrive or have any other object in which men place their trust. We cannot have both the Lord plus something or someone else as God. It's either or. It's like the way he designed, the, 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 he, he made the marriage relationship. He made the marriage relationship to be a relationship between one man and one woman. A husband cannot have an affair with another woman and at the same time be really committed to his wife, even if he tries to act like he is. It's either or. And it's the same way in our relationship with the Lord. It's either or. He wants our exclusive allegiance, our exclusive commitment, our exclusive loyalty to Him as God. And so now, we need to ask ourselves, don't we? Is that what He's getting? Is that what he's getting from you? Is, is that what he's getting from me? Don't we ever live as if we can have him as God plus something else? When you think of the earthly blessings we enjoy, do we always give credit to him alone as the source of those blessings? Or, or do we give partial credit to our strength or to our smarts or to luck? When we're going through difficulties, do we look to Him alone as God or do we exalt other people or other means of help as our God alongside of Him? The first commandment requires our exclusive allegiance to the Lord as God, but it also requires our wholehearted allegiance. This is our second point, a wholehearted allegiance. Where do we see that? Well, well, think about what God says in this commandment. He says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Notice just that word, thou or, or you. That refers to your and my whole person, our, our whole self. A, a more literal translation, actually, of the commandment would be something like this. There shall not be for thyself, for yourself, other gods before me. The point is, the first commandment does not leave any room for a half-hearted allegiance to the Lord as God. It requires a wholehearted allegiance. Well, what does that look like? Well, for one thing, a wholehearted allegiance is vigilant. It's vigilant. It's, it's watchful. It's, it's, it's on guard against idols. 1 John 5, verse 21 warns us, doesn't it? Little children, keep, guard yourself from idols. We're to be, in other words, like a soldier on the lookout. Looking out for even the smallest temptation to idolatry. For even the least temptation to put our trust in or give our allegiance to anyone or anything as God instead of or besides the Lord. And we're not to give in to it for a moment. 
1 Corinthians 10 verse 14 warns us to flee, to flee from idolatry. And maybe you wonder why. Why why does the Lord use such strong language? Well, there are several reasons. The first is idolatry is so offensive to the Lord. In one place, we see this very strikingly. This is, is in Ezekiel 6. All idolatry is offensive to the Lord, but especially when it's His people. His people who commit idolatry. People He has saved. People He has redeemed. People whom He's freely forgiven through the death and the shed blood of His Son. People to whom He has wholeheartedly committed Himself. Do we realize, dear fellow believers, do we realize how offensive it is to the Lord when we worship and serve other things as gods, either instead of Him or alongside of Him? The Bible says many times it's like the offense and the hurt a spouse rightly feels when their husband or wife has cheated on them. And listen, listen to how the Lord puts it in Ezekiel 6. Verse 9, he's speaking here words of judgment on Israel because of their idolatry. And this is how he describes how offensive it was to him. He says, I am broken. Literally, the word is is shattered. I am broken. I am shattered with or by their, their whorish, their adulterous heart which has departed from me. And by their eyes which go, which play the harlot after their idols. It's shocking language, isn't it? In a way. Our idolatry breaks, as it were, crushes, shatters the Lord, the one who loved us and who gave himself for us and to us. How offensive our idolatry is to the Lord. That's one reason. One reason why we must guard ourselves so carefully against it. But there are also other reasons. The sin of idolatry really opens the door. It really opens the door to every other sin. That's why this commandment comes first in the the Ten Commandments. It's foundational. Having other gods, giving our allegiance, our loyalty, our commitment to something as God instead of or in addition to the Lord is the root of every other sin. Related to that, idolatry is extremely dangerous. It's extremely dangerous. You think of one of Christ's disciples, Judas Iscariot. His allegiance to money as God led to his betrayal of Jesus and to an eternity in hell. Think of Demas. He began well as a helper of the Apostle Paul, but he he worshipped this world. And and because he loved this world, he worshipped this world, he forsook eventually Paul and, and ultimately really Christ. And we never hear of him returning. Oh, then let's not see how close we can get to idolatry. Let's be vigilant. Let's keep ourselves from idols. Let's flee idolatry. That's what the first commandment is calling us to do. And that includes things like the catechism mentioned, sorcery, soothsaying, superstition, invocation of saints or any other creatures. You know, those may be words we don't use much today. And you may think, well, that's kind of outdated. But it's not. It's not. The things that they refer to are alive and well also in our society. You think of witchcraft. You think of fortune telling. You think of horoscopes. You think of good luck charms. 
We may think these things are innocent, that they're harmless, that they're just fun, but they're not. They're forms of idolatry. Just like the, the Roman Catholic practice of praying to saints or other creatures. The first commandment requires a wholehearted allegiance to the Lord as God. And that means, means being vigilant against idolatry. Are we? But a wholehearted allegiance to the Lord as God is not just vigilant, it's also, it's also sincere. It's not hypocritical. When you have a wholehearted allegiance to the Lord as God, you're not a pretender. You're not like the people of Israel whom the Lord speaks of in Ezekiel 14. In Ezekiel 14, we read that certain elders of Israel came to Ezekiel and sat before him. And they made, it, they made it by sitting before him. You see, they were making it seem like they were really, truly seeking the Lord. They, were, they really wanted to hear the word of God. But the Lord comes to Ezekiel and he tells him in verse, Ezekiel 14, verse 3, that they weren't being sincere. He tells them that these men have set up idols in their heart. Their seeking the Lord was nothing but a show. And the Lord does not want a show of allegiance. And he goes on to give a warning to such people. In verse 8, that he will set his face against them and make them a sign in a proverb and will cut them off from the midst of his people. It's a strong warning. But it's a warning we need, isn't it? Or am I the only one? Don't think we can pretend allegiance to the Lord as God. Don't think that we are keeping this commandment by simply coming to church and listening to a sermon or preaching one for that matter if we have set up idols in our hearts and are determined to serve them. When we truly desire by grace to love and obey the Lord, then we will avoid and flee from all idolatry as sincerely, to use the words of the catechism, as we desire the salvation of our own souls. In other words, with our whole heart. And so again, we need to look in the mirror, don't we? It's the truth. It's the truth of you. It's the truth of me. It's what the first commandment requires. Nothing less than our wholehearted allegiance to the Lord as God. But even that's not all. It requires not only our exclusive and our wholehearted allegiance, it requires, thirdly, our full allegiance. The first commandment says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And that means that the only God we may have is the Lord. But what does it mean to have the Lord as God? It means that He must be everything to us. Our allegiance to Him as God must be a full allegiance. And that means we, we must be devoted to Him as God in every way. And that's a little bit what answer 94 is, is getting at when it, when it lists all those ways we are to relate to the Lord God. We are to learn rightly, it says, to know Him, the only true God. Why? Because He has made Himself known, thanks be to God. He has revealed Himself, especially in His Word and ultimately through His Son, Jesus Christ. Because as it says in 1 John 5, Verse 20, which we read earlier, the Son of God is come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, that we may know God. And so one way to see how we're doing with this commandment is to look at what we're doing, what we're doing with, with this book. And what we're doing with, 
God's Son, Jesus Christ. Rightly learning to know the only true God means we will love the Word of God and we will read it and we will feed on it. It's our food. For the food for our soul. And it means we will love Jesus Christ and we'll study him because he is the brightness of the glory of God and the express image of his person. We are to learn rightly to know him. That's one way we must be devoted to him as God. But we are also to trust in him alone. We are to put our confidence in him for everything, for all our needs. Do we do that? Or do we sometimes instead worry and fret as if the Lord is not able or willing to care for us? And we are with humility and patience to submit to him, even in the hard providences of life. And we are to expect all good things from him only. And we are to love him and we are to fear him and we are to glorify him with our whole heart. You see, we must be devoted to him in every way. The catechism is not making these things up to make the first commandment more difficult for us. No, because if the Lord is God, and He is, if He has absolute supremacy and sovereignty, and He does, then we owe Him everything. We must be devoted to Him in every way. And we must be devoted to Him no matter, no matter the cost. Jesus taught us that in Luke 14. We must deny and forsake everything, even our most precious possessions, even the people we love the most, even our very own lives, rather than commit even the least thing contrary to the Lord's will. In in Luke 14, verses 25 to 35, when great multitudes went with Christ, he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters... Yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And then in verse 33, he says, Whosoever he be of you that forsakes not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Now what was Jesus saying here? He's not saying we necessarily have to leave our families or our possessions to follow him, but he is saying that our families and our possessions may not get in the way of our allegiance to him. If they do, if to keep those things means that we must disobey him even in the smallest degree, they must go. He, as God himself, requires our full allegiance. It's like what President Abraham Lincoln said once during the American Civil War. The representatives of both sides were meeting and they were trying to, to bring the war to an end. And the, the southern delegates, they, they wanted to try and keep some territory separate for themselves to be independent. But the northern side, the side that President Lincoln was on, wasn't going for it. And so the south, as the negotiations kept going, the south kept offering more and more territory to the federal government. But then finally, President Lincoln, you know what he did? He put his hand on the map in a way that covered all the southern states. And he said these words, Gentlemen, this government must have the whole. This government must have the whole. 
There could be no exceptions or limitations. And that's what the first commandment is saying. The Lord must have the whole. There can be no exceptions or limitations. He must have your and my full allegiance to him as God. Does he? The first commandment requires our exclusive, wholehearted, full allegiance to the Lord as God. It's a searching commandment, isn't it? Who of us can say, that we have given that kind of allegiance, that kind of commitment, that kind of devotion to the Lord. There's much reason for us, isn't there, to humble ourselves before the Lord in light of this commandment. There's also much reason to be encouraged. And that's what we want to see briefly in our last point. A blessed allegiance. You see, the Lord, the Lord offers grace even when we have sinned and failed in relation to this commandment. And we see that in Isaiah 46. The Lord promises the people of Israel there that he will rescue them from their captivity in Babylon. They had gone into captivity because of their sin and their failure in relation to this command. But the Lord promises he will rescue them. He will bring them back. And the Babylonian idols, the Bel and the Nebo, they will not be able to stop him because they are not gods. He alone is God. And what's more, what's more, he makes a beautiful promise, a beautiful promise to those who repent of their idolatry, who turn from it, and who put their trust in him. He says this in Isaiah 46, verses 3 and 4. Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are born by me from the valley, which are carried from the womb, and even to your old age I am he. Oh, do you see what a blessed allegiance it is to give our allegiance to the Lord? Even to your, or your old age, I am he. And to your whore hairs, your gray hairs, will I carry you. I have made and I will bear. Even I will carry and will deliver you. What a gracious promise. What does that show us? It shows us that this Lord who, who calls for our allegiance to him is a gracious God and one who is willing to forgive. One who is willing to forgive also the sin of idolatry. And so that's when we hear that congregation. The point is we must not sit here and look at our failures and say, well, it's, it's just all over. No, no. But as we see who the Lord is, let's turn from our sins, let's repent of our failures and our, and our backslidings in relation to this commandment. And God will forgive us for the sake of Christ. That's what this promise shows us. 
And it shows us what a blessed thing it is to give our allegiance to him. Because he promises to do what no other idol can do. You think of the idols that you have served. Could they deliver? Could they deliver on their promises when you went and served them? They couldn't. They couldn't. But God, the Lord, is one who can deliver on this promise because he is God. And so he will carry us. He will bear us all through life and deliver us. What an encouragement that is to do then. To do as he calls us to do in the first commandment. To have no other gods before him. And to give by the power of his Holy Spirit dwelling in us through faith in Jesus Christ. If you are a believer, to give our exclusive, wholehearted, full allegiance to him as God. That's a truly blessed allegiance. There is simply no one and nothing that can compare to him. And so let's con- the congregation, let's close with the last words of 1 John. Little children, it's all of us. Keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Lord, we come in prayer to you at the end of this sermon. We come with humility. We come to take shame to ourselves. How offensive idolatry is. And we confess, O oh Lord, we confess that we so easily committed. There is not a one of us here this day who can say we have arrived and idolatry is no longer a problem for us. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We pray that you would forgive all of our failures, all of our sins. And we pray that those who are here this afternoon who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ would realize that the only way to begin to keep this commandment is to come with nothing, as we all must come, with nothing in our hands to bring, simply to the cross of Christ to cling. And so we pray that you would help us, O Lord, all to do that, to to look away from ourselves and as we see our shortcomings and our failures, that we would look to Christ and that we, we would be assured of, as we do so, of, our, of your forgiveness of, the, of our sins also in relation to this commandment. And grant us, O Lord, renewed strength and renewed zeal and renewed desire to have no other gods before you because that is the way of real blessing we pray this in Jesus name
Amen.